0: You're watching Global Investor on Business Day TV. I'm Stephen Gagnon. On the show tonight, Francois Murlach-Cower from Resco Asset Management has all the global markets analysis. Then in our fund segment, we'll be joined on the line by Clyde Rousseau. He's portfolio manager at Investec Asset Management to look at their global franchise fund. All the, that coming your way shortly. First, though, a quick look at what's been making the headlines. Well, Comcast and Verizon are interested in buying parts of 21st Century Fox. The giants are after Fox's studios and also its TV operations. Buying Fox would give cable giants Comcast International distribution outlets, while for uh, Verizon, the buy would be a departure from its core business. Siemens says it plans to cut close to two percent of its global workforce. This has demand for renewable energy outstrips that of its traditional power and gas division. Siemens isn't the only company to suffer. Competitor General Electric has also halved its earnings for largely the same reasons. And Volkswagen will spend more than 34 billion euros on electric cars, autonomous driving and new mobility services by the end of 2022. This as the company tries to catch up with other automakers and forget its legal problems. Here's more.
1: 40 billion dollars is roughly the size of Jordan's GDP. And that's also the amount of cash Volkswagen is going to splash in the next five years to gain ground in the electric and driverless car race.
2: We're seeing the first successes of this strategy. Volkswagen is in robust health. This is, above all, the result of great teamwork.
1: Competition in the sector is fierce and VW has ambitious plans. The spending will cover factories updates and the development of more than 80 new electric models by 2025. The group has also already committed to offer an electric version of each of its 300 models by 2030. But while it tries to shape its future, the German carmaker is also still dealing with its troubled past. Hoping to get over Dieselgate sooner rather than later. So I mean, Volkswagen has made um, significant progress on the legal front. It's time for a new chapter, and um, uh, you know what we're seeing is uh, almost the beginning of uh, the return of the VW of, of the past with these long-term capex uh, plans. There is some remediation still remaining in some of these um, expenditure intentions, but it's almost looking beyond that as well towards what they're going to do uh, just strategically as a car maker in the 21st century now clouding somewhat those prospects, a new probe has emerged. The US is opening an investigation into potential airbag failure in 415,000 Volkswagen vehicles. This after the German automaker issued a recall for the same issue in 2015.
0: So Francois Mulock-Hara from Resco Asset Management in studio. Um, Francois, we had Tesla last week also unveiling its uh, new electric big rig truck, but it looks like um, got stiff competition coming fr- in the electric space?
2: Yeah, this electric car theme is—it's uh, really heating up very quickly. And I think Tesla were kind of the first ones to come out of the boom and make big promises, but up to this point, they've kind of been not delivering as they should. And you know, the big car companies like Daimler and Volkswagen—they've been spending a lot of R&D and they've been doing quite a few years of research on electric cars. And I, d- I do think they're going to bring uh, seriously good product to the table. And it's not just all about all about Tesla, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. So does, does Tesla retain its first mover advantage in the electric space or does it get overtaken by the likes of Volkswagen and Daimler Chrysler?
2: I think Tesla's built a great brand. There's definitely a, um, a Tesla seems to be a cool car and people want it. Um, but it's not like their sales volumes are really very high. So I don't think the first mover advantage is as, as big a part. I think once Daimler and Volkswagen come out really good electric vehicles and you actually go and you test drive it, then you'll make the decision on your own. You know, a brand's only one part of the car and if Daimler comes out with one that can do twice the range or they just give you a better deal on it, then you're going to think twice before you buy a Tesla. Mm.
0: So b- would you be anxious if you were a Tesla shareholder?
2: I would definitely be anxious, I think, um, especially with the promises Tesla has made. This um, electric truck they launched actually looks super interesting. Uh, I mean, I looked at the stats, they claim fully loaded range of 500 miles, which took everyone by surprise. And they claim to be able to save you up to 20% all-in costs, and 50% if you drive it in a platoon. Um, Those are all kind of the typical Tesla big promises up front. I would be very curious. I'll be watching them closely to see how they deliver.
0: To what extent do you think that China's new stringent rules on emissions is helping to drive this push towards electric vehicles? Because that's a massive market for any car
2: maker. I think it's massive. Um, These guys are responding quickly. You see it from the big car car makers because, you know, Chinese government has a history of when they say they're going to do something, they're going to do it and they do it quickly. And I think as soon as they start to ban internal combustion engines or just make it very expensive for you to own one, then you're going to see a massive demand. And these guys have to be ready, Uh, especially things like your lithium supply uh, supply chains. All these things need to be built up very quickly now to serve the demand coming. And I think with with China getting on the bandwagon, it's gonna come pretty quickly.
0: So this must also be good for the, the, the components makers for electric vehicles. I mean, you spoke about lithium supply chains, so anybody making those types of batteries should benefit.
2: Oh, definitely. I think any company with, with half a foot in the electric vehicle space is, is talking about it. Uh, a lot of companies benefiting You know, outside of the automakers. Um, the lithium market's looking interesting. The prices rallied massively. Whether that's sustainable, it's very difficult to say, Um, but yeah, it's going to change, it's going to change the regular car type of um, companies that have benefited up to this point completely, and we'll see some new companies growing very fast because of it. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, well, another company that has to adapt to change is Siemens, it's um, firing um, 6,900 workers, so 2% of its global workforce, and it's also because it faces new technologies, so renewable energy overtaking its traditional power and gas business. Um, do you think companies like Siemens are moving fast enough to adopt these new technologies?
2: I think so. I think Siemens is a very innovative company. Um, I think this announcement only has to do with the gas turbine industry that's going through a very tough time. Um, as you know, renewable energy is becoming also, governments are pushing for it, and more and more people are starting to do smaller plants instead of your big uh, fossil fuel power stations that use these big gas turbines. So it's it's kind of an oversupply of the industry at this stage. And we saw it with GE months ago, complaining about it. I think Siemens is less ex- less exposed to it. It's about 20% of the revenue that's that segment. Um, but they also have a, a, a health tech business, which is doing r- remarkably well. They are. Um, they have some products for factory automation, which is doing great. So Siemens as a whole, I think, as a company is OK. But the gas turbine market, uh, I think, is going to be tough for quite a few years.
0: And of course, Germany um, can operate fully on renewables at this stage. So I suppose German companies are moving into that space fast.
2: Yeah, and uh, another thing to take into account, which will be massive, is um, with the fleet of electric vehicles coming online, um, you're going to have a, a big surge of second-hand batteries. After. So you will drive your electric vehicle until you have about 50% capacity left because y- your, your battery ages. And once that battery has 50% of its new capacity over, it's still very usable in, in, in say a power station or next to a renewable energy power station. Mm-hmm. So once you once you can store the energy, you can actually run baseload off renewable energy, which is great. So when the sun is shining, you charge your batteries. And at night, you can still draw power from your solar power station with the battery system as a whole. So I think electric vehicles is also part of the problem for the gas turbines. Guys are seeing the changes and Instead of building that big power plant that would would have done in a few years, they're seeing more. Let's see what the the, the battery prices mm-hmm. are going to do, and how we can utilise that to form smaller little grids of renewable stations.
0: Okay. So, how about um, companies that are leading in new technologies? Um, Tencent. Uh, it's had uh, quarterly reports. Uh, Results out last week, and we saw Naspera um, coming up with a trading update on Friday. Its share hitting four thousand rand today, so doubling this year almost. Um, and Tencent just seems to be on this winning streak at the moment, with I think Honor of Kings, WeChat, all of those new technologies.
2: Yeah, Tencent's growth has been it's been remarkable, really. Um, it's an awesome company. It plays great themes, you know, like you said, gaming, cloud computing. You have fintech in there, and um, a couple of little worries there. I think if you're a Tencent investor, Honor of Kings is a big part of their revenue. I'd Mm -hmm. be a little bit worried. Uh, NetEase has a new game called Fantasy Westward Journey, which has done really well, which is kind of challenging them for the top grossing game. So I'd be a little bit worried about that. Also, the Chinese government, you know, Tencent's a very big company. They have been hard handed in some of their policies. um, So you should take that account as a risk. Um, But the important thing is that Tencent play many themes that you can play in in other companies as well that look very attractive to us. Mm.
0: Your favorite, your preferred route for Tencent, would you go direct or would you go through the likes of NASPERS?
2: Um, I think I would go direct Tencent. Um, I'd be a little bit worried about the the owner structure between NASPERS and Tencent.
0: Okay, Um, so uh, Alibaba, also a Chinese company, it's uh, reported today that it's buying a $3 billion stake in Sunart and that's China's top grocery retailer. So shades of Amazon and Whole Foods coming through here.
2: Yeah, you do kind of see it. Um, I think it was very interesting. I also think the price that they offered was it was actually below market price. So another important thing is this flags the the, the negotiating power of a company like Alibaba or even Tencent mm-hmm. I- in China. You know, if you're you, you're a smaller company competing with Alibaba and Tencent, um, you're either going to get taken out, as in they're going to purchase you for probably not a very high price, or they're going to outcompete you. So I think that's very important. The Chinese. Um, Big Chinese companies are going to continue to grow and um, the effect they have on the competitive landscape is very interesting at this stage.
0: So why why would Alibaba get it at a discount? Is it because it's good for Sunart to be owned by Alibaba?
2: I think uh, think that's exactly it. I mean, um, I'm sure they approached them and said there's certain synergies you can get out of this and all kinds of things. Um, I just think Sunart also th- also might be thinking of if we say no to this, where do we go? What if Alibaba just buys our closest competitor and kind of gears them up or gives them access to massive capital and then they take us out of business completely. So I'm sure it's, it's a combination of a bunch of things.
0: And does this also then give um, Alibaba a, a brick and mortar presence through, through Sunart?
2: Definitely. I mean, they have many stores I- in China and I, I'm not sure how Alibaba would use that, but we've certainly seen with Amazon and Whole Foods they have. Uh, plans that seem very interesting. I'm sure Alibaba would look at something similar So
0: h- to help with distribution mm. and, and the likes exactly Okay, uh, also in the news and um, Comcast and Verizon keen uh, to buy parts of um, Fox Deals that are likely to happen
2: I think Comcast and Verizon are looking at it through completely different uh, different sides and um, the the portion of, of Fox's business that they're looking to sell also has a lot of interest in it so I'm a bit worried that they'll be able to get a good deal out of this. I think Fox will be the overall winner. Comcast might look at um, Fox's overseas, overseas asset because Com- Comcast currently only really get eight percent of the revenue from other countries. They might look to diversify and also I, th- I don't think they'll be allowed to buy uh, Fox's really. regional assets. Um, They've previously tried to buy Time Warner and that was blocked by the by the Department of Justice, so I highly doubt they would go through, if anything goes through Comcast might look at, like I said, the overseas assets. Uh, Verizon, obviously, biggest chance of actually getting this deal going through because it's completely different to their current business model. And what they're trying to do is, like most um, kind of cell phone o- operators in the US, they want to give you content as okay. part of their service. So, And um, I think that's a very attractive uh, attractive package. If someone can offer you a cell phone contract with your home entertainment, maybe with your, um, Wi-Fi, y- your landline internet at home. I think that's a very attractive product, and mm. people go. Th- and that. is
0: Rupert Murdoch a willing seller?
2: I think he is. Yeah, I think Fox um, mentioned that that these assets are for sale. It's only I- it's not their whole business, obviously. It's only certain parts, yeah. and they're looking to to kind of. Um, scale down a bit and get more focused on on what they do. So they are definitely willing to sell those assets, I think.
0: Okay, and we chatted about um, Alibaba and Amazon. We had Walmart, so a traditional retailer, trying to move into that uh, online space. Um, It came up with numbers as well recently. As as shares were down today, um, Goldman Sachs has cut it to neutral from buy, and that's despite a long period of same store growth.
2: Yeah, they've had 13 consecutive quarters of same store sales, which I think um, shows you how strong the u.s competitor is actually Um, of course with amazon entering their space it's kind of gloves off these guys are really fighting for market share Um, but i think walmart sold up well Um, but yeah the the u.s consumer seems to be strong enough to absorb all of this and in my opinion you have to ask yourself the question when does this lead to inflation i'm sure the fed fed is asking themselves exactly that Um, but overall even though it was a very strong set of results you can still see the amazon effect in there uh, margins were slightly down, and Walmart said, you know, we have to stay price competitive. And you, you, you that, that kind of hints at, you know, Amazon's bringing down the prices a little bit.
0: Well, that's good for the consumer. Yeah. Um, for us, we have to leave it there for a moment. We're going to a short break. When we come back, we take a look at some Vestex global franchise fund. That's with fund manager Clyde Rousseau. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. You're watching Global Investors. Still with me in studio is Francois Mulock hauer from Resco Asset Management. We're also joined in the line by Clyde Rousseau to take a look at Investex Global Franchise Fund. Clyde, thanks very much for chatting to us this evening. So if you invest in the Global Franchise Fund, what are you investing in?
3: Yeah, good evening, Stephen. Yeah, I think the key point here really is, is that we're looking to invest in, in businesses that have you know, very good track records of creating, creating wealth over time. And most importantly, probably have a long runway ahead of them to be able to deliver those consistent returns, you know, for many years to come. And while that might sound obvious to to most people, but I mean, why well, wouldn't want, wouldn't people want to own those kind of businesses? They're not that many in in truth that, that that genuinely can talk to a long-term track record. And because there aren't that many, the market tends to um, underestimate the the value of a business like that, and therefore misreads the ability for a business to compound and 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 grow investment wealth over time and that's really the opportunity that we see
0: mm. so g- give us uh, an example of the type of stock that would be in the franchise fund
3: so look there are a number of different businesses from different different parts of the market but I mean if you look at a business like let's say a Johnson Johnson's been around for or oh, 120 30 years odd um, it's grown as dividend for 57 years consistently that would be one example uh, within the technology space, uh, Microsoft will be another business. that's It's a business that's reinvented itself you know, time and time again. It's a big company. It's not a small business. It's not a startup. Uh, but it's enabled to, to keep itself relevant um, in a rapidly changing world. Uh, that will be another business. And then a business like Visa um, that you know, clearly is the leader in terms of payment cards networks. And um, a lot of people say, well, Visa is an old company. It's been around for 60 years. But um, it's still relevant in a world where, where payments are moving online, and no one really knows who's going to win out in terms of in terms of technology platforms. Um, whether people are going to be buying on Alibaba, whether it be people be buying on on a Tencent platform, Amazon. But what you do know is that people will continue to be using uh, some form of payment technology in order to you know to facilitate transactions, and therefore, you know, card network is is, is not something that's going to go out of fashion anytime soon.
0: And I suppose you have to ensure that those big name brands that you are investing in are keeping up with the times. Um, So as payments go more online or as uh, technologies adapt, they have to be in front of those.
3: No, absolutely. I mean, if you just again, one one example on Visa, you know, if you look at the sort of what we call the offline world, so a world where, where somebody goes into a shop and maybe purchases something from. A pick and pay or a willies and use their credit card. That's an offline transaction. Whereas, if you go online and you engaging with a mobile phone or you buying something on your on your PC, that would be an online transaction. And interestingly enough, that you know Visa has uh, almost a 44% market share in terms of online transactions, which means that one dollar out of every two that is spent somewhere online is actually going through a visa payment network. And that's actually more than what it would be the case in terms of, in terms of ordi- ordinary, good old-fashioned offline shopping. Mm. So it's a business which is definitely relevant in tomorrow's world.
0: Let me bring Francois in here as well. Your, your, your thoughts on uh, investex approach to the Global Franchise Fund?
2: Yeah, I think I'd like to, to, to kind of get, get Claude's idea on what he thinks the, the franchises of the future are. If I think of franchises of the future, I might think of something like Apple like even Alibaba or Tencent, um, and then also kind of your current big franchises. What his view is viewers on disruption? I mean, there's, there's the example of Gillette. I know that's a special example, and it's it's not always relevant. But some of these guys do seem quite ripe for disruption. Mm. Uh,
0: Cla- Claude, your thoughts?
3: Well, I mean, look. I mean, if you think about disruption, um, I think there's there, there are very few businesses in the world that are not ripe for disruption or not being disrupted. So. You know, I mean, as as I, as I make the point, I mean, you know, Amazon is a disruptor, and most people are very familiar with the big disruptors in the world. So whether it's an Amazon or whether it's, a, you know, a Facebook or a Netflix or a Alphabet or even a Tencent for that matter, these are all well-known businesses that are perceived to be changing the course of history. But, you know, I think I think we're at a very interesting stage of the cycle where where, where, where you know, those businesses might have been founded in – incredible economics and have definite abilities to change the, the, the source of the future, what one has to be concerned about is, is that whilst those trends are in place, the market can overcook those trends and reinforce those trends. So, so many of the valuations of certain companies are very rich um, because the market's over-discounting the degree to which things will become irrelevant. So let me give you one example. Um, we own a business, 21st Century Fox, which essentially is a cable broadcaster in the U.S. Now, cable TV is seen as sort of old school. It's the thing people sit down and watch TV and click to the channels and, you know, you know you've got no choice. And whilst I agree with that, the, the key point behind the 21st Century Fox is they still have content which is incredibly valuable. And that content will be distributed over a variety of different platforms. So Netflix is seen to be the business that is disrupting the cable TV networks. And people are prepared to pay a $60 billion valuation for a business that has – fledging margins, very little cash flow, and ultimately it's just a streaming service with very little content. Now, if you have, if you don't have the content, you can't price how you deliver the service online. And the content is where is where the value lies. So people are under, underpricing the content of, of a business like 21st Century Fox and overpricing the ability to distribute it. And, 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 and the same thing applies to Amazon. The perception is that Amazon is cheap. If you look at Amazon Prime if in the retail space, but Amazon charges between 60 and 90% more than Best Buy or even Walmart to distribute the items. So people are prepared to pay for convenience. But at some point in time, a shopper has got to work out and say, listen, hang on, why well, am I being fleeced between 60 and 90% more if I can buy the service elsewhere? Um, and, and I can probably have my parcels delivered you know, you know, at other places. So, so the, the view that, that economics is only gonna to accrue to these very large tech businesses I think it's something that, that investors should really seriously think about.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, uh, I was quite so interested in the fact that you, relative to your benchmark or relative to your comparative index, you're underweight stocks like Facebook, Amazon, Alphabet and Apple. Is that purely on a valuation basis, Clyde?
3: No, no, not, not at all. I mean, we have owned, we have owned Alphabet before in the past. Uh, we made a lot of money out of it. We sold it uh, recently because we do think that the price is a bit, is a bit heady at, at current levels. Um Apple is a good business but I do think again that that you know people probably overestimate the degree to which their hardware margins are sustainable it has a great network effect but um you know to be honest I mean the price points for for the hardware, the simple devices, whether it's an iPhone or an iPad or whatever next generation, you are being overcharged for those items on their own right. And and um, it's actually surprisingly easy to switch uh, from, from Apple to somewhere else, in my opinion. So I'm not saying it's wrong, and I'm not saying that Apple is a, isn't a fantastic business, um, and it's got a lot of cash, and it can defend its position, it's got all the characteristics we'd seek, but, um, you know, the history of, uh, if you think about the, the components of Apple which are hardware nominated, it probably... Is a, is a business which nobody can really know what the sustainable margin is over time, and it probably is too high at, at, at current levels. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: you, you gave us the, the example of 21st Century Fox and, and Netflix, uh, and we've had news that Comcast and Verizon are keen on buying parts of Fox. Um, would you then be interested in, in those those types of shares as well? Uh,
3: no, no, we wouldn't. Um, I mean, I think, I think what that corporate activity indicates very clearly is the degree to which the market is probably underestimating the future cash flows of, of these cable networks. Um, you know, AT&T bid for Time Warner last year, and uh, maybe that deal will get blocked due to regulatory scrutiny. But it is highlighting something which is very important, very significant. I mean, cable assets are not worth um, eight or nine times earnings. I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, most people in their, in their Nuspros valuation wouldn't value multi-choice, which is an inferior business to a cable channel, on 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 a nine ten percent free cash yield, most people put those businesses on fifteen or sixteen times earnings, and um, I just think that the market is getting that one horribly wrong and when a corporate buyer comes out and is, and is, is able to identify the value and potentially bid for those assets, you know it it tells you a different story so so look i mean the share price of twenty first century Fox has put on fifteen sixteen percent in the last two weeks since that deal was potential deal was announced they 've also had talks with Disney. So there's no doubt in my mind that uh, this is an area where, where, where value will accrue to to the holders of of of, of the the content cable businesses.
0: Mm. Geographically, Clyde, um, the fund is. Um well more than half is invested in north american shares um but, but relative to your your benchmark um, you are overweight switzerland and the united kingdom uh, and the uk uh, i suppose is an interesting one just given the whole brexit dynamic at, at this stage um, what, what are you finding of interest in the uk
3: well i think i think just uh, it's important to remember that when you look at the the actual geographic listings of of the portfolio you know even although you are quite correct that it comes up with an overweight in both Switzerland and the UK. The, the see-through revenue or earnings are way more important, and that is where the companies actually make their money. So, so whilst we are overweight Swiss stocks, um, the, only about 4 or 5% of the portfolio's earnings come from Switzerland. So, so, so it's important to remember that. And the same with the UK. We are not massively optimistic about the fortunes for the UK economy, but what ha- often happens in a situation like that is the market tends to potentially misprice UK listed stocks because it assumes that the UK market needs to derate because of Brexit, because of additional risk premium required on that front, and because of uncertainty around how the UK economy is going to evolve. And and where we do own businesses in the UK it's, it's, it's partly a function uh, of, of that rather than being excited about those geographies per se.
0: And of course we did see how the FTSE 100 did so well last year uh, as the pound weakened after those Brexits um, after the Brexit votes collide. Um, uh, sect- sector, sector-wise, um, mostly in consumer staples, is that where you are seeing the best opportunities at the moment?
3: Well, I- again, I mean, if you look at our sectoral weighting, we have 28% in consumer staples, we have 30% in technology. Now, often people see those those parts of the market as being sort of counter counterintuitive or, or at opposite ends of the same spectrum. Now, I think the, the consumer staples element where, you know, is important in terms of building a portfolio that's resistant to, to, to draw down risk um, and, you know, many of these big consumer businesses, because they've been around for a very long period of time, you know, even during times the market is stressed, and we haven't seen a market setback now for almost 10 years. Now, w- when that finally comes, and I don't know when it's going to be, those businesses will outperform. So they're very important to, to have those as a, as a ballast in your portfolio. And then where you play to win is is, is through investing in businesses that have higher growth opportunities and, and that 's where the technology you know, comes through quite strongly and um, you know, again, I mean you know, we have a number of interesting tech businesses that are not obvious and not, not in that mega cap spectrum, like PayPal or checkpoint technologies, where you know these are businesses internet security is a growing, is a growing opportunity, and PayPal is an unbelievably good business. Which is so well positioned in the payment space as well. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, we're very comfortable that that we have a good balance between defence and offence.
1: Mm.
0: Clyde, is this a feeder fund?
3: So, the the global franchise fund is ill available um, in Luxembourg as a direct um, standalone uh, entity for people who have money outside of RANS. If people uh, are not wanting to go through exchange controls. Uh, they can invest in the feeder fund, which is obviously um, available for a South African investor to nominate in RANDs.
0: Okay. Uh, and, and the pricing, Clyde?
3: Uh, pricing in terms
0: of what? In terms of <laughs> so the, the TER, the, how much is it going to cost an investor to get into this?
3: Uh, it's going to cost about, if you go through the, the feeder fund, about uh,
0: 1.5%. Okay. Fair enough. And Clyde, thank you very much for your insights. Um, so Francois, your, your thoughts on the, the Global Franchise Fund?
2: I it's think it's a very attractive fund. I think especially as a feeder fund, you know, um, not all investors have the opportunity to kind of move their, move their money overseas. And I think this is a great entry point to getting into the big international businesses. And I agree with what Clyde said, you know, e- even though it's an old, I- it's an old kind of, some people would say stodgy business, doesn't mean they don't have pricing power, doesn't mean they don't have very high barriers to entry. And yeah, I really like the fund.
0: That's what we have to leave you there. Thank you very much. Thank you. So we have time for on the show this week. Thanks again to our guests, Francois and Clyde, for their insights. Many thanks to you for watching. Same time next week. Goodbye.